Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Hamid Elmir. I am an MD, MPH. At this podcast, I sit with the world's experts in health education and community development to talk about current health challenges and ask them to share their experiences, knowledge, and thoughts with the people of Afghanistan and other developing nations so that they can learn from experts across the globe. I have two amazing guests today who are health experts and Fulbright scholars. Without further ado, I'm going to introduce each of the speakers and pose a few questions on the current situation. In their countries, how they have managed it and share their experiences with people and health professionals in Afghanistan and across the globe. Welcome, Dr. Jabir. Hello. Thank you, Dr. Hamid, for this invitation. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for having us, Dr. Hamid. Thank you. Jabir Belkure is a Tunisian national and, a, and holds a, both a public uh, master's in preventative veterinary, which is DMV, DVM, um, and a PhD in epidemiology from the University of California, Davis, as a Fulbright scholar. Dr. Belkure has been working on a modeling emerging diseases such as Ebola, avian influenza, or the bird flu and coronaviruses. He earned extensive expertise in managing health and research projects in West African countries like Senegal, Sierra Leone, Guinea, and Liberia. Dr. Bukiria is currently based in Tunisia from where he manages his work. Dr. Bukiria, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm going Hello. to start with you um, sure. and posing the questions that um, I'm pretty sure this is going to help us um, to learn from one another and um, to see how is the current situation and pandemic of COVID-19 going in Tunisia. Right. So Thank the you. very first question, Tunisia's healthcare system is a fragile and yet um, it has <laughs> coronavirus under control. What did Tunisia do differently to control coronavirus as opposed to other countries with fragile health systems? From what we know uh, from, from COVID-19 right now is uh, that it affects, uh, it affects elderly people and uh, other uh, people with uh, non-communicable diseases. And uh, with regards to that, uh, Tunisia has the oldest. Uh, population in terms of age in Africa. Uh, it's, it's still younger compared to, uh, to Europe, but it, it really uh, plays a role with, with COVID. Another important point is uh, non-communicable diseases and Tunisia is, uh, uh, we're, seeing, we're seeing basically the prevalence of uh, diabetes, obesity, and other cardiovascular disease increasing in Tunisia. We are also not familiar with, uh, with epidemics. Uh, the last one happened in the 1800s. It was a cholera outbreak, and uh, uh, we were put in uh, in confinement. The the healthcare system in uh, in, in Tunisia uh, is considered the second best in in Africa. We have a well-trained uh, healthcare workforce, right. and we are also providing uh, help in terms of uh, health for neighboring countries such as Libya, Algeria, and other uh, West African countries. The health uh, workforce in Tunisia 
is being the brain drain to uh, European uh, countries such as uh, France or Germany, but also to Canada, UAE, Qatar, many other countries. In terms of uh, infrastructure, it is really important to notice that uh, there is a kind of a disparity between the public and the private sector. The infrastructure is uh, modern and very well developed in the private sector. However, the capacity is, is higher in the, in the public sector. Uh, and then in terms of ge geography, the coastal areas are more equipped and, uh, and uh, better prepared than the central areas of, of Tunisia. And that all affected the, the strategy that Tunisia took uh, with regard to uh, the strategy against uh, COVID-19. Right? So for example, Tunisia chose to, uh, to have a, a central, uh, centrally managed uh, response. Right? <clears throat> and, and for that reason, the, the president and uh, the higher government, uh, the head government of, of Tunisia, uh, put the all power necessary to, uh, to tackle the disease and they even reduced the bureaucracy that uh, we have in Tunisia in terms of decision making and they uh, empowered the, the Ministry of Health and all the, the, the leads in terms of health uh, to, to take faster, rapid, more efficient decisions. One thing that uh, we, we all agreed on in Tunisia is the, the proactive measures the government took even before the appearance of the first case. So there was a strategy put in place, already put in place and stakeholders knew what to do. Okay, even uh, even before the first case, which happened in in March second, right? Uh, as soon as uh, the the first case appeared, we closed uh, the borders. I think on March sixteenth, so probably two weeks after the first uh, case, and then we went into an early confinement on March twenty. <clears throat> we basically recorded uh, twenty four cases, and uh, the government uh, rapidly decided to uh, to uh, have everybody uh, at home. And we added a curfew as well. So uh, from um, 6 uh, p.m. to 6 a.m., uh, we were basically uh, uh, obliged to, to, stay, to stay at home. A very quick decision and timely. Absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I mean, uh, overall, overall, that, uh, uh, that, that uh, really helped to reduce the number of cases in general. Great, great. So thank you very much, um, uh, Dr. Jaber, for the informative um, discussion. and. Um, I'm going to follow up with this question and how Afghanistan can learn. But before that, I'm just going to uh, briefly also introduce our second guest today. Um, Dr. Osama Zikri is a Tunisian national and a global health consultant. He is a DMD or a dentist and holds a master of health administration with a focus on health policy and management from the University of South Carolina as a Fulbright scholar. Dr. Zikri is currently based in Kingdom of Morocco and works on the development and management of disability programs in West and Central Africa. Prior to this, Dr. Zikri worked on technology-driven solutions and implementing health development projects in several African countries, from Senegal to Burkina Faso, Benin, and Madagascar, to only name a few. Welcome, Dr. Zikri. Thank you very much, Dr. Hamid. Thanks for having us. Thank you for your time. Um, I'm going to follow up and uh, what Dr. Uh, uh, Bill Curry just uh, mentioned about the Tunisian uh, management and health, uh, uh, how they were fighting COVID-19. Um, I would pose this question to you. How can Afghanistan learn from Tunisian experience and model? Uh, good question, uh, Dr. Hamid. Uh, and thanks for uh, my friend and uh, colleague, uh, Dr. Jeber, for presenting the context in Tunisia. I would start first by uh, 
by putting an emphasis on the on, on considering the fundamental uh, differences in the context uh, of each country between Afghanistan and Tunisia. Uh, however, at the same time, uh, in regards to COVID-19, we are fighting the same enemy, the same virus. Uh, this enemy is, is novel to the world uh, and also novel to Tunisians and Afghanis alike. So uh, I guess there are some uh, lessons to be learned from the Tunisian response. Um, which I can uh, summarize in, uh, in uh, three major points. So the first one is um, the, the decision to dissociate politics from science and from the strategy itself. And like uh, many other countries, uh, we actually in Tunisia posed our political disputes uh, between national stakeholders. Uh, and we decided that we're gonna objectify the response around scientific and evidence-based uh, measures only. Um, second, the, the, the ability of uh, decision maker and, uh, and uh, health policy makers in Tunisia to, uh, to adjust their response according to the elements of the health crisis. Um, mm -hmm. I would mention specifically um, building on existing response strategies uh, you have to have a plan ready before the onset of the outbreak you have to also define the role of each stakeholders in the strategy once uh, once you start implementing and unfolding it uh, and lastly build on that plan reinforce successes and adjust on the move uh, another uh, sub element uh, would be showcasing flexibility. Uh, Jeber talked about minimizing uh, bureaucracy, which gave health policy makers the ability to, uh, to, uh, to alter their response processes uh, and seek greater agility. Uh, and finally, uh, having a strong institutional backup. Here I, I'm, I'm talking specifically about the couple uh, coupling M MOH, the Ministry of Health, with the National Observatory for Emerging Diseases, mm. um, which is formed by Tunisian scientists and uh, public health experts, uh, as well as epidemiologists, who can provide technical backup uh, to the leadership, to the Ministry of Health leadership. Mm. I will also mention uh, reputable institutions and how it's necessary to engage them in the strategy. I think of the Institut Pasteur in Tunis, uh, especially its role in, in the testing strategy or in testing in general for, uh, for COVID-19. Mm -hmm. uh, and finally, the final lessons would be uh, seeking public engagement. You know, uh, Dr. Hamid, when we talk about public health programs, we, we talk a lot about uh, population-centered uh, design. So I think it's cr crucial to have the buy-in of the public uh, for the success of the strategy and the, and the response itself. Um, I will summarize this quickly in four, uh, four points. Uh, explain thoroughly, uh, decide quickly, engage the public, and reinforce the loop. Um, so, so that you, you see, can you gain the, 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 you find a better outcome uh, out of it. Uh, let's not also forget about uh, supporting the most vulnerable as we tackle those issues and try to contain the virus. Mm -hmm. I would say that these are the main uh, lessons that can benefit uh, Afghanistan and the Afghani decision makers when it comes to containing the, the COVID-19 epidemic. Dr. Usam and Dr. Hamid, uh, yeah. I, I wanted to highlight that uh, I really like the question. This is an interesting question and I wanted to, to point out that we are all learning from each other. 
Because as Usama, Dr. Usama said, yeah. this is uh, something novel and uh, we are looking at different experiences all around the world and uh, seeing uh, what might fit the best uh, or adapt these uh, scenarios to what fit the, the best in, in, in each country. So, mm -hmm. for example, we, we, we are learning from, from your podcast as well and we are learning from other people's uh, mm -hmm. you know, activities towards uh, COVID-19 uh, you know, epidemic. Well, great. Thank you so much, both of you. This was uh, very informative. And uh, as you guys mentioned, it is the, um, this pandemic actually is new for uh, everyone and it's unprecedented. Um, the transmissibility of this virus is really uh, different than the ones we had before of coronaviruses. Um, that puts everyone, every situation, every country uh, and every nation at risk and um, vulnerability. So we are trying to learn from one another and the whole um, purpose behind this podcast and also the show that I have is also to bring people to people so we can learn from one another across the world and, um, and, and share our experiences. Thank you again for mentioning that. Uh, with, just following with uh, Dr. Um, Zikri that um, you mentioned about how um, the Tunisian government and also um, you mentioned also somehow the uh, private sector also took part in um, in fighting COVID-19 uh, back there. So um, let me ask you this question. Uh, Tunisia's health uh, services are mainly provided by the public sector. Was this helpful in fighting COVID-19 or do you think the privatization of the uh, testing centers would be also better? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think we have to, uh, to, um, to clarify one point, at least in my opinion, uh, the public health, the public institution, public hospitals mm -hmm. played a big role and an important role in, uh, in this response for sure. Uh, but I think the fact that the outbreak was considered a national security threat by the government and that the, the, the government leadership uh, opted for a centralized response made it uh, made public institution a de facto uh, important player however um, jabber uh, mentioned this earlier um, it's true that 87 percent for example of ca uh, bed capacity in tunisia is provided by the public sector but we shouldn't forget that the public health infrastructure in tunisia is aging since uh, uh, since years now uh, and there is a disparity in, in the affordability of healthcare services, but also in the geographic distribution and, and access to these uh, services. And here comes the benefit from engaging um, the private sector, in my opinion. Uh, we all know in Tunisia that the private sector has been the premium choice uh, for healthcare services among Tunisians for many years now. Um, in the private sector, we find more advanced capacity to take care of patients. And at the same time, they have a strong uh, and organized lobby to back them up uh, and to lobby for their inclusions, uh, inclusion in, uh, in the strategy uh, containing the virus. Uh, so no doubt, in my opinion, yes, the public uh, sector is important, but there is no doubt that mixing care and engaging uh, private sector in the response mm -hmm. will strengthen our strategy uh, and, and the response itself. Uh, however, we should make sure that uh, equitable access to private and public services alike uh, is guaranteed. Uh, Dr. Hamid, it's also noteworthy to mention that the need to engage the private sectors uh, goes beyond the sole provision of care to other uh, to other sectors as well, uh, which are also affected by the epidemic and also trying to contribute uh, to the containment of the epidemic. I think of the hotel industry, for example, stepping in to provide space for uh, quarantining uh, 
patients. Uh, and we think also of the food industry providing meals during uh, during the crisis, the health crisis, to essential workers and many other private players joining the national effort uh, to contain the outbreak in Tunisia. Well, great, great. Um, thank you again for uh, uh, mentioning all these important uh, key um, aspects of, of how to manage uh, the crisis of this pandemic at this time. And you just pointed to a very key important part that was uh, how public can also take part uh, during this time. Like uh, the any gesture uh, is, is really helpful in encouraging, especially the health professionals. Um, um, you talked about the, the hotels and, and restaurants and um, there are examples across the world that how people um, stepped up and um, helped the uh, the one another, uh, basically providing food to the health professionals um, and encouraging them and appreciating their work. Um, there are examples across the world and uh, Afghanistan. Also, um, I, I read uh, the uh, uh, tailor who was just an ordinary tailor and he was working uh, from home or at his shop uh, just for you know for living and. Um, after he learns about the that there are people who are they don't have masks and uh, he starts build, making masks uh, with with the little machine that he has uh, the the sewing machine and he built uh, he made like six thousand um, masks and distributed to people just for free. Impressive, impressive. I'm pretty sure there are examples uh, across the world and it really um, is uh, the time that people should come together. Yeah. And, I think I think this is uh, really important to note that uh, you know health is not just you know hospitals and, uh, and and medicine and vaccines. Everybody could contribute. And as a as a matter of fact, I know in Tunisia that a lot of uh, engineers or student engineers were creating face masks, for example, okay. for workers in in Tunisia. Or I think in Morocco or other parts of Africa as well, there were a lot of uh, uh, masks manufacturing and and. Uh, and even media sometimes creating uh, spots or radio channels just to to help people understand uh, the importance of uh, protective measures it helped a lot it it really does um so while i have you here dr uh, bilkeria um let me pose this uh, other question from you here uh, how helpful was the tunisian containment policy first case was uh, as you mentioned on march 2nd uh, quarantine self-isolation uh, started soon after the first case. Um, are people abiding by the public health uh, directives? Uh, let, let me tell you that uh, we, we are not in confinement anymore. And uh, this, uh, this happened uh, probably uh, three or four days ago. So uh, in, on, on May uh, uh, 11, I think. And uh, as you can see, I got a haircut. So <laughs> it was one, one of the, you know, <laughs> exactly <laughs> and uh, and uh, in in a way um one 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 could say that uh uh one of the important factors that helped uh, tunisians uh you know help with uh, with these restrictive measures was uh seeing what was happening in neighboring countries such as italy or france so uh, mm -hmm. that that helped uh, a lot to to have people comply with uh, confinement and uh, and uh, uh, curfews and other measures that was uh, the first thing, but then it's it's not a matter of uh, complying; it's also sustaining it, right? As mm -hmm. you, as you know, sometimes confinement or curfew lasts for 
weeks and and and, and months right and yeah. then uh, the first week might be easier than the second and the second might be easier than the third right so it is it is uh, you know uh, the government that has to understand sometimes the social situation that the population goes by and then understand that people need a job need money need food and uh, try to respond to that and that's where where the social sciences and social scientists play an important role right mm -hmm. and then and then uh, in terms of uh, uh, how 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 tunisia did i mean if from an epidemiological perspective in terms of number uh, we can we can say that you know it it worked out pretty well uh, we were able to flatten the curve right from uh, uh, and we were able to reduce uh, the number of cases now we are at uh, zero case for uh, five days in a row which is uh, wow, amazing right that is great thank you very much uh, but but i mean it's not a reason as well to uh, to stop you know using protective measures and and, yeah. and being careful that's uh, that's really important right mm -hmm. and then uh, our our healthcare system so in tunisia we have uh, 500 icu beds they didn't get overwhelmed which mm -hmm. is fantastic right so mm -hmm. we succeeded yeah now if we look at the dynamic and how this happened of course you know we could have done better and it's a learning experience. So, for example, uh, the government relied on uh, on people's goodwill to uh, self quarantine after they at, at the beginning uh, when they first arrived from uh, from uh, uh, Europe or from other areas from China that uh, have been endemic for for coronavirus and people uh, failed to uh, to respect self quarantine, right? Mm -hmm. And that uh, led to uh, more and more cases, right? Another important factor, which is providing uh, protective. Uh, equipment for frontline workers mm -hmm. uh, that came late and that caused uh, like many cases uh, in in uh, in our valuable uh, healthcare workers right and that could have been avoided mm -hmm. that, and then uh, let me and then uh, one uh, sorry here Go um, ahead. um you just mentioned about this uh, while you while you follow up with the first question um you pointed out also to the um uh, PPEs or the protective equipments that is um, that you acted or the Tunisian government acted later uh, we also have the same challenges back in Afghanistan and unfortunately you know a country where um, economically it's it's not stable and uh, depends on the international support um, we unfortunately lost uh, already 10 12 uh, health professionals most of them doctors um, right. I don't know. Partly, it, it was the reason maybe we didn't have enough PPEs, and there could be other reasons. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a really complicated uh, problem to solve. I think, especially when uh, uh, in in our countries uh, sometimes, and, and not just in our countries, to be honest, right? And uh, we we've seen this happening in a lot of developing countries and a lot of developed countries. It's it's something that everybody had to face the shortage of protective equipment, and it's a lesson to learn. Uh, yeah. for the future right another important uh, factor that could have helped uh, was uh, seeking uh, help from uh, or looking at experiences or allying with other countries to 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 help with this uh, you know global uh, health issue right mm -hmm. and uh, perhaps Usema you can uh, probably comment on that uh, yeah yeah absolutely I mean uh, Jabber touched based on, uh, on an important point in my opinion uh, which is uh, seeking outside experience or seeking exchanging outside experience uh, to combat the epidemic uh, let's let me remind the audience uh, that tunisia is is uh, in a, in the middle of a democratic transition for for almost a decade right now uh, and at the same time it's a country not familiar with epidemics and communicable diseases in general 
so uh, we, we could have done better for sure and we should be able to do better and one important uh, elements or tools to do better is to seek outside experience to uh, to strengthen our regional and international collaboration with reliable stakeholders. I know that Tunisia collaborates with uh, with multilateral uh, institutions like the World Bank, the WHO, which is very important, but uh, we should also seek uh, regional uh, expertise and, 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 and it's, it should be something that we work on it actively uh, and we can involve our diplomacy in it. Uh, I, I think of CDC Africa, I think with, uh, I think of collaboration with the African Union, African Development Bank, and many other uh, regional stakeholders uh, that could help. Uh, from, an, from an internal perspective, uh, from within the country, um, I think uh, we should uh, do better in terms of like conducting conducting retrospective assessments. Unfortunately, this is a this is a pain point in uh, in uh, Tunisian public policy or Tunisian decision making in general. And for many years, uh, I think there would be time that we need to go back and reassess the response and the results and the different factors involved in uh, in the outcomes we have, uh, be it good or, or, or bad. And we, we need to draw the right conclusion from there. And most importantly, uh, we need to revamp our emergency response uh, capacity and preparedness. Uh, I think of uh, the National Observatory of Emerging Disease, which uh, which is supposed to to be a CDC-like institution, but they they for sure need more resources, human resources, financial resources, and more uh, prerogative on the ground to implement uh, um, strategies and enforce them. Most importantly. Mm -hmm. Well, great. Thank you again. While I have you here, uh, Dr. Zikri, let me just ask you this uh, final question. Um, how do you see the pandemic socioeconomical, uh, socioeconomic implications in Tunisia? Um, I would say that uh, Tunisia, like uh, many other countries uh, in the world, uh, the future is uncertain for sure. We've, we've touched based on, uh, on the necessity to, to support uh, the most vulnerable population of the society during the epidemic. Uh, let me also uh, mention that the Tunisian government, uh, the, the, actual, the current Tunisian government is a newly elected one. They, they picked up work in 2020 um, and uh, they already had so much social pressure from uh, years of a democratic transition and uh, fragile economic situation. Uh, which will probably get worse. Uh, according to the World Bank, the Tunisia's economic growth is projected to contract by 4%. Mm -hmm. we, we have already been struggling with a low um, single-digit growth rates. Uh, so I see, I think here that uh, tough years are ahead uh, for a fragile transitional economy, uh, like like any other fragile transitional economy in the world, uh, there will be a contrast, a strong contrast uh, between social pressure and liberal trends when it comes to uh, government decisions. Uh, and also um, the government itself will be under uh, test because they provided electoral promises, uh, socioeconomically, uh, and they need to implement them and they need to uh, succeed in the reforms they, they promised. And it's going to be a very difficult task, I think, for, for the government and for the population alike. Uh, however, I, at the same time, I, I want to 
uh, end on a positive note. I think it's a, it's yeah. the outbreak is still a valuable opportunity to engage in deeper institutional reforms, uh, highly anticipated by the Tunisian population, and rethink the way we do business post COVID-19. Uh, already Tunisian, uh, the Tunisian mindset and Tunisian mind started to adapt to the situation, and we are glad to see um, several uh, innovative initiatives sparking uh, out of the outbreak. This should be sustained uh, by strong government leadership willing to engage in a meaningful uh, economic and fiscal reforms, in my opinion. Well, great. Thank you so much, uh, both of you, uh, for the sake of time. Uh, we have um, we had a lot of questions and I have was actually gathering a lot of questions from people, but uh, we will definitely also continue um, to have you both uh, on another show and um, definitely we will talk more about it to learn from one another and this is really a great opportunity for all of us to learn from one another one another and thank you very much for sharing all this experience um, i'm pretty sure that afghanistan especially um, and maybe uh, other developing nations who are uh, behind tunisia uh, in terms of the curve um, of this pandemics, they can learn from from uh, the steps that you guys already been through. And thank you so much. We have uh, just a couple more minutes. Uh, if one of you, I know that you also started um, Open Nakash, and uh, could you just briefly, uh, maybe a minute or two, talk about it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, just briefly, uh, we we mentioned that you know there during this uh, uh, pandemic there were a lot of initiatives, right, mm -hmm. from youth. Uh, engineers were making masks and uh, you know people were helping uh, feeding health workers and housing them in hotels and whatever and uh, we decided why not to help with uh, our background and our experience in in health as public health uh, experts uh, with with our expertise in West Africa and Central Africa and dealing with these kind of diseases we grouped ourselves and we decided to write first to explain to Tunisians in a very easy words uh, all the technical uh, you know uh, advancement that has been happening from testing, vaccines, uh, treatment, but also explain some epidemiological concepts that have been, you know, exposed in in the media recently. Uh, yeah, against uh, fake news in 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 social media, and that's what we decided uh, wow. to to start writing, and uh, we are progressing. Uh, uh, these days, and we are always looking for people to contribute and and help. It's well, very thank exciting. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, thank you for sharing about Open Nakash too. Of course, uh, that is a great initiative, and uh, that's why these shows, like 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 mine, also is trying to bring people to together and one learn from one another. As I said, and uh, it is a basically just from people to people, so we can learn from one another. Thank you again so much, both of you, Dr. Zakaria, Dr. Zakaria, um, for your time. Thank you Thank very you. much. Thank you for having us. Thank you.